Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. I'm Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. So, Also with me, Kid Presentable. Hey, hey. Also joining us, Lavender Gooms. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a fight card this past Saturday, and what a fucking card it was. Uh, the UFC loaded up a pay-per-view, and then that shit delivered. Um... Probably not counting the opening fight, but the rest of it, a pretty damn good time. Um, even a couple fights, even uh, where we didn't really expect them to be that good of fights, still pretty entertaining. Um, let's uh, let's just get into it. Marcus, um, we saw the performance of Justin Gaethje's per- career this past Saturday uh, against uh, Tony Ferguson. And in it, we saw just a truly great fight, which... Lived up to expectations, I'd say. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, going into this fight card, uh, Dana was very outspoken. I mean, as he is as the promoter, that you know, th- this main event really was going to live up to the hype they're putting on it. You know, he he mentioned and stressed that a couple times that like, you know, I think he mentioned like I don't always come out here and say like this fight's going to be amazing, which he does, but um, every damn time. But this time he's like, well, this one's really going to you know is going to deliver, and I think we knew that going in that this was almost impossible. The, n- neither of these two guys have ever had a boring fight. Like just straight out, there there is not one fight on their record that was ho hum or middling. They've always been exciting, so we knew what to expect. Um, when we were doing our breakdowns last week, uh, I, I did pick Justin Gaethje because I have been super impressed in his last couple performances, um, how he's been able to really tighten the loose ends uh, in his game and the results speaking for themselves with super quick knockouts in the first round. Um, obviously, to replicate that same performance against Tony Ferguson is kind of unrealistic, and we saw that come Saturday. Um Tony, both these men put on fantastic displays. And really, I think what got J- uh, Justin Gaethje the win here is that his defense, um, him not allowing, because often how Tony wins fights is the first round sometimes is a little rocky for him. Um, he does things that leaves himself open and susceptible to strikes and to getting hurt. Um, but usually it's his toughness that gets him through the, those rocky patches, um, his extreme conditioning where the other guys get literally it's like a Homer Simpson like uh, scenario where the other guys start getting tired, beating up on them. And Tony doesn't get tired and he just keeps pushing them and they eventually break. They, they mentally and physically break down. And Tony w- has won a lot of fights where he was struggling or was getting matched up against someone who was putting him in tough positions. And we see him go ahead, surpass those guys in those fights and either submit them or knock them out. And what we saw here was Justin Gaethje really having watched this fight three times now. um, The first couple rounds, he was playing the counterfighter, which worked perfectly for him. Um, And with a guy like Tony, you don't have to lead the dance. Dude's going to come at you. Um, And what Gaethje did was he let Tony come at him. He started gauging the distance really well. And really, it was counters. It was counters all day. If you watch that first round, anytime Tony threw a strike, whether it was two one strike or two strikes justin was throwing counters and often multiple strikes at once and in the second round where justin started to lead the dance a little bit more it was never one shot 
it was always multiple shots. Um, and a lot of it was finding these openings in Tony's game where he's out of position. There is there is probably three or four exchanges where Tony got hit with a big left hook because he didn't see it coming. Because a lot of his style is he squares up with you when he's, when he's about to strike. And when he strikes, he goes into the sideways stance or the Bruce Lee stance. Um, and a lot of times he spins, right? Because he's not in a great position to defend or to throw another uh, attack out, he'll spin giving himself the opportunity to throw spinning elbows, spinning kicks, what have you. And Justin, what he did super well was he stayed in the pocket. Um, when he got in the pocket, he used head movement, bobbing and weaving to stay in the pocket and to, to, to continue to exchange. And this also was part of Tony's strategy where he doesn't disengage out of the pocket. He'll throw punches. And when someone throws back at him, very rarely is Tony backing up, right? He, he actually stays in the pocket and tries to exchange with the guy. And this gave Justin a lot of opportunities to uh, throw counter punches, and when he did throw multiple punches, able to land some of these. Um, I think a lot of credit has to go to Gaethje's corner. Uh, I think we've we we've seen Trevor Whitman corner a lot of fights. Um, we really, and I think this is something that we talked about before. Maybe because there's not a lot of crowd. Maybe because I got to watch it multiple times without you know us. Because when we watched it, we all were hanging out together on hangouts. There's a lot of back and forth going on. Um, his advice was immaculate. You know, we've, I think the last couple of years, we've really been putting a spotlight on corners than the advice they've been giving. I love in between rounds two and three, he, he does what a lot of corners do. You have to get the attention of your fighter. He gives Justin a second to kind of like relax, sit there. And he said like, dude, 10% off your punches. You're trying to kill this fucker. And you see like, he's throwing so hard. He's missing shots. Like he was becoming inaccurate because he's trying to win the fight in one punch. And I think when he did that, um, and I think obviously the um, the advice between round four and five was super critical where he was basically uh, Trevor Whitman was saying like, don't get too cocky. We've been in this position before where we're leading the fight. We're winning the fight and you give it up because you're having too much fun. You're getting caught too often. I think uh, it was during that round kind of going into that uh, kind of co- coaching from Whitman. I think, Bob, you kind of just yelled out like, holy shit, he swung for the fences on that one because he whiffed hard on like a big left hook. I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he yelled it. They're like, ah, like he, you know, he knew he really, really went for that one. Um, but to that point with the coaching, Mark, uh, I know you said you watched the countdown episode and, you know, it's been so long since I bothered to watch one, but like with no sports, I'm like, all right, I'll consume all the surrounding mm-hmm. content. And I kind of got vibes. It reminded me of like a bang and Dillashaw, uh, Mighty Mouse. And what's his Hume. name? Matt Hume. Yeah. Matt Hume. Yeah. Fighters who have a synergy with their coach. And like Whit- Whitman gives good advice. He's coached a lot of people. You got a sense there's a really sp- special relationship with him and Gaethje. I think Gaethje says he's been with him for nine years now. Like that, he yeah, knows I how mean, to talk to him. He knows how to motivate him. It's dude, just, yeah, all those all, he was there for the every fight. I mean, I think Gaethje showed up in WEC with like eight fights, maybe, maybe uh, WS, WSOF, WSOF, yeah. WSOF, which is now PFL. Um, yeah, he's been. He Whitman's been his guy for a long time. Um, he showed up seven fights, World Series of Fighting. Um, and I think he's from the area. You know, he's from uh, – oh, he's from Arizona. Never mind. But he's been with Whitman quite some time. And um, I put this out to you guys since we're talking about the man. This is the same man who put together the game plan that took out Joanna Jędrzejczyk. He's, you know, Rose Ramiunis's, you know, coach too. And, you know, I know Joanna's lost a couple of fights here and there now since, but remember there was a stretch there where she was just, you know, literally unstoppable. I mean, I remember before that fight, Mike kept saying, oh, my God, why they why they booked my girl Rose in this fight? And now this man has really, like, 
And let's just, I mean, let's get into this too now. Tony Ferguson won 12 straight fights in the best division in MMA. I mean, if you don't think 155 is the best division in MMA, it's the second best, I guess, in your opinion. He won 12 straight fights and didn't fight for the real belt. Which, some of that is his own injuries. Some of it is just the joke that is the meritocracy system of this sport sometimes. And Justin Gaethje uh, overcame that with the help of Trevor Whitman. Um, just an impressive feat all around. Uh, Marcus, back to your breakdown of the fight, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think those are the, the big takeaways, you know. And what I really like in Justin Gaethje, and I think even to Rose and probably can attribute uh, uh, that to uh, Trevor's teaching styles is, you know, we've been seeing a bit of an evolution in striking in uh, MMA. We've seen a lot of guys being able to adapt, uh, adopt this kind of like switch stance style where I'll go southpaw and throw some strikes or I'll go right. Or depending on how I'm chasing you or how you're chasing me, I can throw off either stance. Um, personally, for me um, and how I like to train, I've always thought, you know, it is it's really it, it is very difficult to do that. It is very difficult to be able to switch stances and be proficient in that other stance. I've always been in the mindset like, look, if you're an orthodox fighter, just get good at that. Just know how to throw left hooks, right straights. And just just realize, you know, when you're when your opponent is switching stances, what opportunities arise and what come up because the stances leave different, you know, openings and different defenses. And I think that's what one thing Trevor does really well is in this fight, Tony was fighting Southpaw a lot in the first round. He would switch stances up constantly. And instead of trying to mirror that or to oh, he switch he's go southpaw, so I'm gonna go orthodox, or he, I'm gonna go southpaw too. So we're mirroring each other, something like that. Just fuck with all that shit and just stick with your, your with your really simple basics. And I think that's what Joe Rogan said a lot through this fight. It's it's not that Justin Gaethje is doing anything crazy. It's just his technique is on point. It's clean and his timing's there. And that conditioning, man. That dude was still throwing in round five. You know, he was still throwing in round five. You still you're still there with a the guy with Tony Ferguson by round five. That says something about your own conditioning because Tony Ferguson's a cardio machine. Um, and Justin was still there. Uh, Mike. New interim champion, Justin Gaethje. In theory, he fights Khabib next. Or, I don't know, J Conor McGregor keeps shit-talking him on Twitter, and that happens. Um, assuming it's Khabib, though. What do you think? Because this isn't the off-his-back... I mean, Justin's not the off-his-back, you know, grappler that Tony Ferguson is. What do you think here, man? Do we... Uh, did you lose... Are you a little bit less, you know, a little bit bummed we lost that fight, or... You just, you know, I guess you yeah. maybe accepted they weren't going to get it anyway at this point. <laughs> I mean, of course I'm bummed that we lost that fight. And much how Steph has been screaming from the rooftops for God knows how many months. Like, we all kind of knew this was going to happen. You know, like, we were, were never destined to get the Tony Ferguson versus Habib fight. And now it might be a fight or two, you know, considering if, if Tony does actually win his next fight. Um, or two before we could possibly see that again and as happy as i am for justin gaethje um styles make fights in in the ufc you know just because justin gaethje beat tony ferguson pretty soundly doesn't mean that tony ferguson doesn't have a better chance of beating habib because his skill set allows him to to have that particular chance um i haven't watched too many justin gaethje fights but to my knowledge, um, 
he doesn't have as strong a ground game or maybe as unorthodox a ground game as Tony Ferguson has. That Yeah, he's a... Uh, honestly, the fuck Habib. would we know? Has anyone yeah. seen this dude grapple? I mean, that's the thing. Like, I've seen him do a little bit of stuff, but he's a, uh, he's a wrestler. And at this point, he uses his wrestling almost like... The best example would be Chuck Liddell. Like, he makes sure the fight stays standing. That is the type of fight Justin Gaethje. Sprawling Ball has yeah. been an archetype of MMA since those days. Like, yeah, that's he's he's the modern version of that. That's I all. mean, like Mike, the version of him beating Khabib is he stuffs enough takedowns and gets yeah. enough leg kicks that it has an impact in Khabib, and Khabib is stuck in a standing well, fight. Well, when, let me throw this yeah. out. Are, are you guys really? Because personally, I'm not. I mean, stylistically, Ferguson and Khabib was interesting because of that, right? You're like, oh, Khabib's going to take him down. He can fight off his back. I'm just as interested in Gaethje and Habib because, I mean, look at, is he going to be able to stop Habib taking him down? Probably not. Um, is he going to be able to catch him? Maybe. Yeah. Is Justin Gaethje going to be there in the third round after he's been grappling? That's I think what I was saying. That and was I think that market. makes it compelling. And yeah. I think, you you know, and I think it is, uh, it is unfortunate that we don't get to see the Ferguson-Habib fight because I do, let, like everyone else, want to see what happens in that fight. You know, can Tony with his, you know, he fights at range. Can he keep Habib at range? Can he keep him off the ground? If it goes to the ground, what happens there? I'm just as you know interested, if not even more so, because of what, Ga what we just saw Gaethje do to Tony to see how these two match up. So, because Mike, I do, I think what you're saying has been a lot of people's talking points. Like, oh man, we wanted this other fight for so long, and so much bullshit has stopped it, and now Justin kind of like spoiled the show, and now we're not going to get that fight. But and that's I think true, before, but before anything still, else, before anything else. Justin Gaethje earned the opportunity to fight Habib. Yeah. It was supposed to be Tony. Justin came in on like what, maybe three weeks' notice, maybe oh, a month's yeah. notice, mm -hmm. and he soundly beat Tony Ferguson. Um, so similar to last year when Dustin Poirier won the interim title over uh, over Max Holloway, where we all thought, well, he'll likely lose to Habib, but it's still an interesting fight to see. Uh, I think it's going to be similar in, in that vein, where if Justin can actually find some way to keep Habib off of him and keep the fight standing, which no one else has been able to do yet, he stands a chance. And yeah, much, how mean, like, much how like we've seen with a lot of other people, I'm interested to see that. I mean, eventually you get, might get the time where like, eventually all these guys who take everybody down at will, they have that fight where it doesn't work as well. And maybe this I, is that fight. I so we don't know. Out here too with Habib, let's let's not forget the Aliquinta fight, right? Yeah. Like he took Aliquinta down, who's another wrestler, right? Who has heavy hands. I mean, I think Justin Gaethje's in a different class, but yeah. you look at Al and he took Al down. He worked him out, and he didn't need to do wrestling anymore, right? He just outboxed him. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to do that with Justin. So really, what what what's going to be intriguing for me in the in the Gaethje and Habib fight is. I'm pretty sure Gage, uh, Habib's going to take him down in that first round. I think he's going to probably fucking maul him that first round. But what I'm really interested to see is rounds two and three. How does Habib look? Because that dude's gas tank gets lowered pretty significantly. What saves his ass is the other dude's fucking done. Like, yeah. he gets tired, but that dude's done. And he rides the shit out of him. Or he'll jab him like he did with Al. He jabs Al face for, like, four fucking rounds. And, and Matt Sarah wants to say, oh, how tough is Al? I was like, the dude, you got smashed. I yeah. don't think he's going to be able to do that with Gaethje because, one, I think his gas tank will still be there. Because, obviously, what happened with Al is just he got tired. He got ran into the ground. He got grinded out. And Habib was able just to, to score on him at will because there was nothing left. That man was broken. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it with Gaethje. Well, I want to see if he can. 
Yeah, because Al, I mean, Khabib's got that like grappling stamina that if it was like, entirely a grappling fight, Khabib could probably go for two hours, right? If they were only going to stay on the mat. But if he gets to round three and he can't get him down and then he has to stand, I mean, it's pretty much what we're talking about here is if Justin Gaethje can survive getting mauled and not getting tapped out or pounded out in the first round or two, right? That's what we're yeah, getting at. But Khabib also, look at the guy. Like, he's not, he doesn't pound out and sub guys really quick. Mm. He grinds them out. He, he grinds them to fucking dust, and they just turn to their bellies and say, please choke me, daddy. I'm done. That's what happens in these fights. That's why he gets a scream at Michael Johnson and says, just stop. Just give it, up because I'm just if we were, shit If we were any sort of popular podcast, somebody would take choke me, daddy. I'm done and make that a fucking thing. Um, I just want to put a side note out there as we move on to the next fight here. That as a guy, Mike's dying. As, some, as you know, Justin Gaethje's been my guy for a while now. It's very rare when one of my guys don't just like shit the bed. <laughs> like this is the best this has gone there's, for me. There's <laughs> very few fighters that don't shit the bed. Yeah. At some point. I mean, like this is just going as well as it can for us right now. And yeah. I like Justin Gaethje quite a bit, man. And like, shit, man, he's a guy who's like, real, if you really like read some interviews with this guy, where he'll talk about like, yeah, I'm probably gonna get CTE. I can't fight that much longer the way I fight. Which I don't know if that makes him any smarter that he still fights like this. But at least I like, he's an interesting cat. But he's, he's got honestly, a like this that. is uh, as much as people are lamenting the Ferguson that never was. This is a bigger fight. You can so easily sell this fight as Rocky Four, the fucking big Russian machine versus the punch drunk, lovable guy who just wants to fight and just put on a show. Like it's that I, fucking. It's exactly well, me, that story. Well, let me. Let me. I don't want to get into a bunch of shit that's not going to really happen. But I just want to put it in terms like this because I saw Justin uh, Don, uh, Connor wants to fight Justin. Um, Connor wants to be relevant. That's what Connor wants right now. I mean, Connor showed up in January, sold a million pay-per-views, fighting a half of the way there, Cowboy Cerrone. He's relevant just for existing, but do his look, we all recognize that Justin uh, that Justin Gaethje versus Connor McGregor would be a fun fight, just a style matchup. Is it worth doing that fight if the risk is we have to end up with Connor versus Khabib again? I'm gonna start with you, Steph. Would it be worth it for you or not? The roll the it dice is on that fight. Is because um Con Connor still got a lot left. Mm. Justin can beat him. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure he can. Like, it's just Justin whether totally it's, beat him. is it worth rolling the dice on it? Like, if Connor does win, though, like, Bobby, that's probably you know how much one. money these people need. They're creating crazy ass waivers to protect themselves oh, to yeah. make some money. Dude, I saw some articles this today about how much money Endeavor needs right now. Woo! Yeah. Oh, Jesus, they're fucked. If they can make money with Connor, Bob, the answer is it's always on the table. If yeah, they can right. make money so, with Connor, it's so always on the table. Let's see if you can enlighten the rest of us. How much money are we talking here that Endeavor needs? Oh, here we go. Let me just, I had it up just now before we started. It was, uh, it was a one. It was, I saw that and I'm just like, oh, we're going to just violate shit all fucking day. Oh, are we talking like. 500 mil, 200 mil. What, what are we talking here? Um, there's. Okay, let me just tell you while you guys are going. Mark, break down what's, uh, what happened in the co-main event while I look oh, for this. Mm -hmm. Gladly. Um, another really on paper interesting fight with Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. Um, I, I did pick Henry in this one. Uh, knowing full well that, that could be a very poor decision. Uh, Dominic Cruz just has a way of winning fights. Um, and on, honestly, in a, in a fashion that I'm have not been a huge fan of, you know, I, I would say as a fight fan, not a huge fan of his style uh, as someone that appreciates people not wanting to get domed, um, in cage fights, totally respect it uh, and would probably try to manipulate it, uh, you know, use it myself if I was a cage fighter, but you know, he, he has a, he has a great way of avoiding, conf uh, uh, avoiding strikes. 
and picking and choosing his spots and winning decisions very closely. You know, I we watched this fight. I remember when we were watching it live, I kind of thought, like, I think Dominic might have won the first round. Just thinking yeah. because any close round with Dominic, he's just like, he wins those. But looking back at it, I think Henry won that uh, first round. I think Dominic came back really aggressive in the second round. His corner basically said, like, okay, you, you got your feet underneath you. It's time to fucking fight now. And, and, and Dominic did. He, he did a lot better in that second round. He threw a lot more strikes. Um, ultimately, what his downfall was, and this has kind of been his his cadence with striking, is that when he first he's all about he's all about distancing, engaging, and movement. When he gets into the pocket, he loves to dip his head. Dude loves to throw a strike and dip his head and throw big overhand punches off of that. He because honestly, he he's doing a boxing mentality where when you dip your head down low in boxing. You, there's really not a lot of danger. You don't eat a lot of uppercuts from way down there. You're basically kind of null and void any damage you get from being so low. Fucking changes the game when you do kickboxing. When you throw knees, you can't duck and weave haphazardly because you'll eat shit like Dominic did. And basically, he ate a huge knee right at the end of the second round. Um, it, it put the stupid on his face. When you look at after he got hit with that, it literally mushed his face to make him have this weird grin. Um, Henry did a fantastic job following up, which he has done throughout his career. He landed a perfect right straight right after that knee. He followed up with a flurry of blows, which most of them were unprotected. Dominic, right before the the referee stopped it, he did get up on one foot. It looked like he was building him, himself back up. You, it has to be known there was two seconds left in the fight. Um, this is a very controversial stoppage. Um and it's not without its merits, you know. I, I think that that's kind of a lot of I mean, what the conversation yeah, has become. I think it's pretty much people recognize you. It wasn't a great stoppage, but we've seen worse, which I think might speak more to how many bad stoppages we've seen. Uh, we're just putting aside the fact about Dominic's accusations about the referees, which really is a side note in all of this. I, I mean, for me, the only thing that's really bad about it is the time. He had two seconds left in the I, round. That's the worst thing. I think. Um, I think to the credit of Keith Peterson, though. Um, we need to also take into account human reaction because when Keith Peterson starts going in to wave off the fight, it's literally right when Dominic is starting the move to, to go up. And by the time he is between the two waving it off, that's when Dominic is like actually in the motion of getting up. So yeah. to give Keith Peterson some credit, you know, all right, maybe the cigarettes and beer, you know, slowed down his reaction time. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, okay, well, um, I'll get to the Endeavor thing in a second here. I have it pulled up, but let's just get to the crux of the matter here. Um, for, actually, first, I want to say um, Henry was uh, sprawl. Uh, I'm not sure he was going full sprawl, but every time Dominic was threatening to shoot, Henry was effectively sprawling, I think would be the best description, Marcus, except that time where Dominic did look like he was going to shoot and he need the shit out of him. Like, he almost like he baited him into that. Or I, what honestly, you... how I read it, Bob, and I watched it a couple times. I don't think he was shooting. That's just you don't Dominic. Ha this is watch his fights. Oh, the he, duck thing. You think he was just yes, his usual? He, he ducks all the time. He loves it. He loves it. I don't. I don't think. And this is something I saw on another podcast. I don't even know if Henry was throwing a knee. A lot of people think he was throwing a a leg kick or a kick to the body, and dude just ducked into that shit. Oh yeah, um, and, I, I and thought I it, it was definitely a kick. Oh, you think um, it was a kick? The, the, All right. The, the leg was extended. That, that's what you they see said. see like, that he, he bends uh, into the knee and just eats the knee. We've seen that happen in other fights, and that's very much what it looked like. Um, let's just get to the – well, in that case, let's get to the crux of the matter um, because does anybody really believe Henry Cejudo isn't gonna, is, is actually retired? Because literally even at the press conference, he said, you know, money talks, but I am retired. 
Does anybody really think he's done? Uh, I will say yes, because Dana's reaction was, yeah, he's been talking about wanting to retire. It's not like, no, we want to bring him back. Dana knows this guy makes well, no I, money. I, I guess he was saying there's, there's no too. good business in giving this guy more money. He doesn't sell yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's the one part of it where, like, he can make money doing other things without getting, you know, locked in a cage and, you know, stripped to his waist to fight other people. And he's kind of accomplished everything he's going to accomplish at his size. Because realistically, asking a man five foot three to go up to fight like 145 pounders, which Edson Barbosa is now one of them, like that is a tall order. And he's, I mean, he beat the greatest flyweight ever. And he went up and won a second belt. He defended it a couple times. He beat the greatest bantamweight ever. If he doesn't want to do it anymore, I kind of buy it. But if he's, I mean, I wouldn't be. Basically, Marcus, what I'm trying to say is, I wouldn't be surprised if he wants more money. There, well, there, there's multiple factors here. Yeah. One, um, this isn't the first time this guy's done this, and I didn't know this. Again, this is I, I've been consuming a lot more MMA stuff since I have the time now, and there's a fucking fight going on. But DC brought up a good point that I didn't know because I didn't follow Henry Cejudo. Uh, he he quit wrestling right after he won the Olympics, and he was 21 years old. He didn't have a game plan then. He did not, he couldn't, I mean, look at, he won a gold medal. Maybe you can do some speeches and shit, but he did not have a financial plan for what he was going to do next. He just knew that this part of my life was over. So when they asked DC about that, he mentioned that like, this guy has done this before. This is not, you know, uncharted territories for him. We've seen him at the top of a sport and just give it up. And DC said like, if he wanted to, he probably could have done two more Olympic games. He probably could have become potentially the most successful U.S. wrestler of all time, but he gave it up. Um, so I think really what we're seeing here is the same situation we saw uh, Mighty Mouse in um, that we see a lot of these lower weight dominant champions get in. They're fucking dominant, right? They're they are the champion. They are fighting all comers and they are fucking winning. And what do you expect when you're a champion and you are fucking dominating and winning? You want those big fucking paychecks. All the other guys that are dominating and owning their divisions are getting. And the UFC can't promote anybody at all. I mean, the problem is... It, it, it's either one, right, Bob? It's either they can't promote the division for shit or just no one gives a fuck, right? And it's really sad to say, like, no one cares about 135ers, but there, it wasn't that long ago. No one cared about 155ers, right? We just talked about how it's the most stacked division in the fucking sport, and UFC killed it for a while. It was dead. It wasn't even alive in Pride. Pride made a spinoff show called Bushido so they can have 155ers in the lower weight divisions because at that time in the sport, just people weren't interested in little guys fighting. And 155 did get popular. We do have major stars. We've never had that at 125. I don't really think we've had it at 135. I don't think Dominic is probably the biggest star out of 135. Yeah, they, they did. They had a really good number when Dominic came back and beat TJ. That was like a really well watched ESPN card. Probably because people knew Dominic a little bit, maybe. I guess. I, I, I don't think, know. I, yeah. I think that was big because there was heat. There's a lot of heat yeah. on that fight. There was camps that were heated. There was storylines going there. That's kind of the best you can ask for for promoting a fight is that there's multiple storylines of years yeah. of different they, teams competing. They also had that very, uh, well, I guess as viral for Dominic and uh, TJ's um, interview with uh, John Anik. Yeah, you have to give credit to, to Dominic, right? He really stepped up his trash talking in, in those years to, to be more... I don't know, TV friendly, more fan friendly, talking more shit, well, what have you. He was obviously more engaging then than he was before, but still, like, 
are we lying to ourselves? These aren't big superstars, right? Dominic is probably the most popular champion at 135, and I don't think it's because of fucking fighting. Yeah, dude, it's probably because he does commentary. And yeah. they've seen him commentate bigger fights with bigger people they care about. I'm like, oh, this guy fights too. Maybe I've seen him. Also, his inactivity didn't do him any flavor. But the main point is, Henry's a super dominant champion. He is deserving of seven-figure paychecks, right? I think he is. I think what he's doing, he's... Because not only is he dominant in this weight division, he's stopping guys. He's stopping guys. They don't stop guys in this division. That's why it kind of sucks. It's because two rounds in, you already know Dominic Cruz has won or Mighty Mouse won, and I'm fucking bored to tears watching an MMA fight, the sport that I love, because it's so dominant. There's no intrigue. This dude's not finishing him. I have to wait another 15 minutes to already see the outcome I know. Henry Cejudo is fucking killing people. Hey, wait, 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 one second. I just want to say that this is our best goddamn analyst on this podcast, Mark, after two months of no fucking fights, going all in and explaining this shit. And I hope you all appreciate it. <laughs> Mark, go ahead. I mean, Stefan, go ahead. <laughs> I was say, in defense of the division, I know he was on EPO. Dillashaw was a fun champion. His, his, I mean, look, his wacky I mean, look, stand-up style, he was getting late head kick finishes. I mean, look, I, I, yeah, I think Mark was making more of a commentary yeah, on in both general, those divisions together. He's not been a big also. star. I, I 100% agree. Like yeah. I said, there's no money for him here. I could see him taking a big payday in one or something, you know, like someone else I mean, did that recently. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. like if they were going to really do him and out, I mean, I kind of like you get like he was calling out like anybody who had any name in this weight class. There's a reason but, why he was calling out Aldo. The, I mean, you know, the guy he lost like, the fight. He's like, I need yeah. big money fights. I need people he, to know who I am. He called so, out Uriah Faber. Exactly. Because he knows he knows people know these fuckers. You fight Sterling, no one's gonna give a fuck. No one cares about Aljamain Sterling because he's not interesting. He hasn't had the big fights. And that's yeah. what I think Henry's looking that's, at too, is like there's no one else here. Henry Henry saw what the previous um champion did. Um well ch- champion at his lower weight class at one twenty five. Yeah. Uh Mighty Mouse was the consummate professional. He fought just whoever the UFC put in front of him. And those people had lesser names than Mighty Mouse and less name recognition than Mighty Mouse, which is saying something because, frankly, outside of hardcores, no one really knew who Mighty Mouse was. Nope, not at all. (laughs) And Henry likely saw what happened to his predecessor and was like, fuck that. Did his heel turn that caused Steph to hate him all in the hopes that he can make some name recognition and get some heat so that way he could get these big money fights and i agree with i agree with mark um in a perfect world henry Cejudo would be earning seven figures but my econ uh, degree background tells me this you 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 are what you can get and in the case of henry Cejudo. Motherfuckers don't want to watch him. So he he's earning what he can get. Like he's not he's not worth seven figures. I uh yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean he literally became champion and went with the I'm gonna throw as many much shit at, at the wall as possible approach, try to get paid. But we'll see if he doesn't come back. If he doesn't come back, I mean I the number the realistic fight I think would be Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. Then again, they're about to give that title shot to Jose Aldo. And he's number six. So I who fucking knows? Yeah. Maybe we do a tournament, guys. What do you think, huh? Here's, here's, some- here's the disrespect that 125, 135 has. The 125 belt was contested in Norfolk, Virginia, on like an ESPN Plus card. Yeah, 
They're going to do it. They're going to run it again back. They're going to run it back, brother. I mean, it's just sad because you look at all the other divisions. What these divisions need, they need superstars. And I don't know if Henry would ever become one, but I think he he was trying to. Like like well, Mike yeah. said, he's fucking trying. He he look at he he put he picked this persona that most people are gonna hate, and he probably knows that. Like I'm probably going to antagonize the majority of the fan base, and then there, there's always gonna be people that just like the 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 shit stirrer, right? But I think he amongst his peers was standing out the most. And and Bobby, when you say like, oh, you know, so what do we got? Sterling and Peter Young. I'm just like. Phew. Just yeah. kill it. No, just like, kill it. You need a star. It needs a star. It needs well, a star. Know, That's I mean, it is... needs people to get interested. And those guys aren't interesting. There's no one that's interesting in those divisions. And it sucks because the talent's there, the personality's not, and it really sucks that the personality's what sell. Well, do you know what it is? Also, I felt like around the time of Dominic and TJ, there was really like, oh, like TJ's getting some pub, Dominic's getting some, you know, we're getting some views on this thing. I really thought the division was going somewhere. Um, And... I'm going to tie it back to the sale of the UFC. The old owners of the UFC, despite all their faults, there was always some sort of like progression as to where we were going, you know, in terms of the sport, like not just like we got on ESPN or whatever, but like there was advancement, there was divisions, there was, they managed to get like, they bought the WEC, 145 became a thing for the love of God is to, it's the money division of Conor McGregor ever fought down there. They, I don't see that happening. There's no plan. There's no plan is what I'm getting at. I don't think there's any plan to do anything with anybody in any way class beyond the card that's next week. So when we say like Aljamain Sterling needs to be a star, or they didn't find a star in this division. You need to find a way to build a star. Well, they, it doesn't just happen they, overnight. They, they don't do that. Yeah, they, they don't build stars. They don't. No, build no, they don't. They wait for someone to because I mean look and, and, and kind of in a way it's like they don't need to right if well, you're a fight, if you're up. a prize fighter and you want to make big bucks like people have drawn how to do that you look at guys you look at a Chael Sonnen who no one cared about no one cared about Chael Sonnen until he started talking mad shit and then he's backed yeah. it up I mean you have to back it up but you got to you got to you got to promote yourself and I think guys know that I think that game plan's out there Conor McGregor's out there making millions of dollars they know what they have to do to kind of capitalize on the the masses it's it's extremely hard to do say yes and no to that because of the point with henry there's a game plan but there's people who do it well and there's people who do it poorly yeah and and that make that makes a giant difference if you can do it well and that's the thing is talking shit is not created equal you know like there are levels like everything there are levels to it and connor and chael they did it well you see people like colby and henry they didn't really do it well like, well, it's also, it's, I think it's also like, it's not just that it's, it, it is, it's hard to do because it's not just talk shit because yeah. talking shit is part of it. It's like what essentially talk shit is a, the root of find a way to make yourself interesting to some segment of the fan base. Um, and a lot of guys have the advantage and this is kind of weird putting it where they become stars because they're from somewhere else and they got a built in fan base. Like, look, he's going into the hall of fame. I think he's the greatest of all time. George St. Pierre was not interesting. Like, George St. Pierre's, like, the last 12 fights were boring as fuck, at least, right? Like, it was just a technician. It was basically a Mighty Mouse, right? Like, he just, and I love Mighty Mouse, too, but, like, you have to be real nuanced to love this. Fighting, combat sports are the most nationalistic yeah. of all so, like, sports. When it's an American fighter, when it's, like, you you almost need to be from somewhere else to get, like, a whole country behind you to, like, get some hype behind this shit. Um, 
Uh, we've gone real down the rabbit hole here. Let's, let's get to get the rest of this card. But yeah, we'll see what we we'll see what we do. I mean, hell, I think we should do a tournament. If you my, I can keep. You want to speed it up, Bob? I can do the next fight in two quotes, if you don't mind. I, I was gonna do it based. On, I mean, if this was a video podcast, I'd do it based on Mark's reaction to. Yeah, as I say, I got two quotes. <laughs> I got two quotes, and uh, so the first one being Francis's post fight, which I said is my early favorite of the year, and that was. Uh, when Rosenstreich called me out and wanted, said he wanted to fight me, that's when I knew he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and then, to what I think you were saying with Mark's quote, and this is how I I love it when the fight replay is the whole fight. And Dude. That, that, that was that fight. Dude, uh, let me tell you, the no crowd thing, and Steph, we'll talk about this at the very end, the whole, yeah. the whole aspect of no crowd stuff, but when there was dead silence... When I was, for at least a few seconds there, I thought, oh, he might be dead. That was real uncomfortable. <laughs> like, he got killed. Um, and Ghani wants a title shot, which you don't blame him too much. And the UFC is trying to pressure Stipe Miocic into fighting, which is hard to do when he's a firefighter yeah. trying to help during a global fucking pandemic. So if they want to book an interim title fight, between DC and Nganu, and DC said he's down for that because apparently, I don't know, I guess he's not retiring anymore. DC's just out trying to get hit in the head by giant dudes. Um, okay, I'm fine with that. I, I would like to see that. Mike, what do you think? DC versus Nganu? Let's see what happens. Uh, fuck it. Why not? I mean, yeah. do you, I mean, do you even care if it's for a belt or not? Call it for a belt. It's not for a belt. Whatever. I mean, I think, I, think at, I think at this point, DC doesn't get out of bed unless there's some gold. Uh, you know, attached to a to a fight. So fuck it, man. Make it for an interim. At this point, I am numb to like interim title shots. You know, just make anything possible an interim bell. Who cares? Just real quick for my new Japan heads out there, I'm gonna get real specific with this reference. Hope y'all appreciated Justin Gaethje going full NATO with that title and just throwing it to the ground and saying, I don't want this. It's right. He doesn't even want your bullshit belt. Um all right. Uh oh, the Endeavor thing. Endeavor uh, their debt stands at roughly $5.1 billion. Okay, all right. In, in addition, Endeavor is on the hook to pay about $1.9 billion in purchase obligations and guarantees through 2021 separate from the debt obligations. And that includes a $650 million in principal and interest payments. So they need these UFC cards to do well, which, by the way, they sold 700,000 pay-per-views, which mm-hmm. seems like a lot. Uh, look who was on the look. It seems like a lot, event. but also kind of low this, for this, this card was stacked. Yeah, but it's ESPN Plus. There's like a. I oh, mean, there's actually, like... if you think about it, all right, the whole card was stacked. But if you're looking just at the part you would be paying for, you're not paying for it's... Greg Hardy. Fuck Greg Hardy. Um, Word. Calvin Qatar, he's cool. I like Jeremy Stevens. You're not fucking paying for that. Like that's bullshit. It's the top three. It's the top three fights. Yeah. Uh, but 700 is actually pretty good for ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Connor's the only one to break a million. But it's also like people are desperate for content now. Dude, like, it's 60, I, I but yeah, you can't split it. Oh, by the way, we learned this, folks. If you are used to splitting pay-per-views with your friends, um, if you are using ESPN Plus um, and you buy the pay-per-view, three uh, three people can watch at the same time. So just a heads up. So if you don't have to eat each of you, eat $65. You know, you each eat 21 bucks and change. You can still watch it. Um, Calvin Qatar put a fucking hole in Jeremy Stevens' head. I think that's a good description. Jeremy Stevens showed up five pounds overweight. I was having flashbacks to the last time he did at 145. It cost me two grand in gambling. Um, Greg Hardy, the only interesting part of that fight for me is when he said he could hear uh, Daniel Cormier's commentary 
uh, telling him to check, saying that Greg Hardy needs to start checking leg kicks, and Greg Hardy's like, so I started checking him. Which I feel Greg Hardy should have known that already, Mark. He was getting kicked in the fucking legs. What really, probably... <laughs> what really sucks is that it seems that after he uh, got that impromptu advice from DC, he checked the leg kick, and that's when I think... Uh, um, the Castro? Castro, well, I think broke his foot or something, or hurt his foot. Yeah, well, I mean, you do risk that, I guess. Um, I guess, Steph, Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone, just a fun brawl, huh? Just a good... Fun I mean, brawl between two guys, two vets, huh? <laughs> it was like a rematch we didn't really need, but, you know, Donald had a better showing for it. Um, yeah, it's kind of a it's a weird where-did-they-go-from-here fight for both of them. Yeah. Uh, Olenek and a Verdum was way better than any any business being, right? I think that's a fair assessment, Mike. It was just a good heavyweight fight. Yeah. It went, it's a travesty uh, that you guys were robbed of the in-between-the-rounds. Because Alexei Olenek just laying down on the mat between rounds and having his coach give him belly rubs, it was amazing. That was amazing content. Um, Michelle Watterson, I didn't think she won, but somehow that was a 30-27 in her favor, 30-27 against her. Then at 29-28, Mark, Carla just out here getting wins, huh? One day she'll get another title shot, maybe. Yeah, no, it was it was a tough performance, but I know I, I thought she won pretty handily. Um, and I, I think we'll... we'll probably get to it next but like she had some interesting comments about having nobody in the audience that i definitely want to raise with you guys after we finish covering the card and then uh nico price got a hole in his face at the hands of vincente luque his face was fucked up his whole right side of his face was just looked like it went to fucking chainsaw at it it's um, funny that those two guys fought before i didn't know that before the fight when they started fighting then i remembered i was like oh yeah these guys yeah. had a really good fight before i remember them beating the shit out of each other there, there were some fights on this card that ufc was like we just need good fights let's just book some did, shit together did you guys see the early prelims at all bruce mitchell i i saw uh bruce i saw bryce mitchell and, and charles rose uh yeah i yeah. saw that I've never seen so many twister attempts. That dude went for yeah. like eight twisters. I was like, Do you see that? Do you see that uh, fucking uh, scorecard? At that, the scorecard. He won. There was a thirty twenty four on there. I, I'm not surprised, dude. He, dude, he had he, multiple catches that were like super close submission. He ran a clinic. That was a fucking clinic on the ground. That was a really good. Yeah, fight. I definitely would recommend people watch that, especially if you're into you know submission grappling, because this dude was just in uh, Charles Rosa is like a legit black belt. Yeah. And he looked like he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. That oh, day. dude, he was getting like, yeah, that guy gave him the full fucking 10th planet breakdown the whole time. Thug Nasty was all over him. Mike, you like that nickname? It doesn't really fit with Bryce Mitchell. The, the cracker we see before us. but uh, The guy from Sherwood, Arkansas. I think that's part that's, of the joke. That's uh, that's what I was trying to get at. Yes, yes, Mike. Like, he he comes off very hicky. He's asking for camo shorts. He did walk out to Rough Riders Anthem, though. So I mean, you can't hate on that, man. <laughs> yeah, for everything, everything he exudes, he likes rap. Um, uh, question though, was it original Rough Riders anthem or the remix? It's been long enough, Mike. I can't. Wait, what, what, what was the remix like? I don't remember what. The yeah, I don't remember the remix. I, I'm not gonna hum a few bars of the remix for you. I'm not um, gonna. I'm enough. not gonna do okay. it justice. I'll check it after. The Sam beloved, Alves. the one that was beloved, Mike. The one that was beloved. They were both beloved. Uh, Ryan Spann, when he came out, I noticed that he was giant, and I said, "Should we pay attention to this guy? He's huge." Uh, then he had a real boring fight with Sam Alvey, which everybody does. So I don't know if they even hold that against him, to be honest. Um, but he won. Um, this was a real good card overall. Um. I got no real complaints except for the fact that the 
Greg Hardy fight had no business being on the pay-per-view, and I'm not even saying that because he's a woman beater. I'm saying it because the skill set of the individuals involved did not dictate its placement. Um, Verdum's the former fucking heavyweight champion. If you want to put a heavyweight fight on, put him on, for the love of God. Even if you want to keep Pettis and Cerrone as your teaser on there. Um, so, uh, some notes from the card. We lost Jacare versus Uriah Hall because Jacare tested positive for the coronavirus. So, uh, hopefully he's okay. And, um, members of his family had had it, I guess, which I think at that point they should have already sent him home. But we all, they all signed waivers saying that you can't criticize the UFC about anything with the coronavirus stuff, which that in itself is mind boggling. Um, two of his cornermen also tested positive. Let's hope nobody else was in that sauna with them. Um, this was the first event back for them in two months. About two months, maybe seven weeks. Um, the, the last event they had also had no crowd, but nobody paid attention because it was a random fight night in Brazil. Nobody gave a shit. Um, this one, no crowd, a 15,000-seat arena in Jacksonville, um, which is the hub for all this stuff. Um, the UFC fighters were actually staying at a the same hotel as the AEW wrestlers, which allowed uh, Daniel Cormier to mark out like a little boy when he saw Jake the Snake Roberts in the uh, gym. Um, we're not here to debate whether these fights should be happening because the answer is obviously no, but Stefan, uh, some of your thoughts about having a no crowd fight. What'd you think, man? Um, honestly, I, I kind of mentioned this guys before I loved it. Um, it made me more interested in the fights. It really highlighted them. Um, you know, I get going to live sports. I go to a lot of live sports. I get the energy of being there. But you know what crowds can make for shitty is uh, watching experiences. Um, you get the woos. You get the boos when there's grappling. Uh, you get the boos when there's 10 seconds of inaction. Um, yeah, there's you get a lot. The of- a- you get the Abel Trujillo screaming section that just won't stop screaming. You get that. that um, the women fighters, you get a lot of uh, sexual harassment. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that I could do without from uh, drunk assholes. And uh, I liked it. Uh, I loved that you could hear the cornerman. It was very clear. Um, I, I kind of said, it's like when you're watching a sports movie or a movie, a fight in a TV show, because they're mic'd up, right? So I'm hearing the coach. Like, that Whitman quote to uh, Gagey, it hits harder because I hear it so clearly. It's like you're there next to him. I think it's hilarious that you could hear the commentators, you know? Like, while uh, while Francis was giving his victory speech, I hear I heard Cormier in the background start laughing his ass off like, no, no, I'd take his ass down if he tried punching me like that. <laughs> I'm like, this is this man's victory moment. Like, I, it, it just made it so much more of a personal experience. And I get the roar of the crowd can make a moment like, you know, at that knockout. But you know what? I hear the strikes clearer. The strikes become more visceral without the, oh, yeah, it's the crowd real, noise. You got a real nice like, echo you, too when, when it's a big arena. When you hear the thud like on a body shot, you're like, "Hey, that hurts!" Like I thought, I thought they fucking mic the ring like I was wrestling. I was like, "Damn, this is loud." <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was really well. There's things that you get from ambiance and atmosphere. Um, that's totally true, right? The uh, the Irish hooligans for those fights. Um, but if you're a you fan, miss, if you, you're a you, purist. This quieter, intimate experience, it's a greater way to digest it, in my opinion. Um, I miss the good parts of the crowd, I guess, only. Like, there was a point in the main event where I was just like, a crowd cheering as these dudes were throwing down would have been fun. Um, it didn't stop them from doing it, though. Um, they were still there. But there's a lot of negative shit about crowds in MMA, and they all would have booed so much on some of these fights. 
They would have booed that entire Bryce Mitchell fight. Let me tell you that right now. Nah, no way. Oh, like, come on, man. Dude, that dude was getting so many deep submissions in. In Florida? Good point. All right. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. People are outside protesting gym closures by doing push-ups outside of a courthouse right and not, now. And not just any part of Florida. Northern Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, Dirty Florida right there. Uh, Marcus, you had another thought. I remember. Yeah, about this. I, I think, you know, this new environment um, has definitely brought some concerns and, and, and pros and cons to it. Uh, and I think one of the pros that you mentioned before is, is a lot of fighters say, like, I can hear the commentary and I'm using their advice to, which is very weird. And it, it seems a little unfair. I know uh, Carla was doing an interview with Ariel and he was saying, like, oh, you know, what, what, how did DC, like, do you think, like, you would have won the fight if, you know, there's people in the audience and you couldn't hear DC? And she was kind of like, well, my corner told me a lot of this advice, too. I just heard his voice. But I, she actually, in that interview with Ariel that she had today, actually brought up a really good point that I think is valid, is that she had her her decision was somewhat controversial. She got a 30-27, so did Watterson. And she brought up the point that, you know, sometimes the commentators can not necessarily be biased, but be maybe highlighting what one fighter is doing more than the other. And when there's no noise, maybe the judges are hearing that. And maybe that's influencing their perspective on the fight. Interesting. Right. That's and interesting. It, that, that, was, that was a point she brought up in Ariel. You know, I think likewise is that's a really interesting point because if it is so quiet that you're only hearing the corner and then you're hearing the commentary and you hear DC saying like, oh, I think Watterson's doing a great job dictating the pace or she's scoring really well with her kicks. And we know these judges, they're fucking morons because we, 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 before this, we, they'd been fights like, oh, you judge is completely wrong. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that some dudes cozy up to DC and he's like, it seems like DC thinks Watterson won this. I mean, not, not that. Well, that, well Mark, that's the you case, also get those fights. You also get those, those fights where Joe Rogan, like, it's not that he's favoring a guy, it's that Joe Rogan gets obsessed with one point in an action. Like, sure, he'll Joe, get focused Joe on a one narrative. thing. Yeah. And it's not that he, I'm not sure saying he goes in with the narrative, it's just he gets stuck on it. Like, I don't think he checks with Dana White, like, hey, well, what do you think I should push in this one? But I think he gets it in his head. I'm going to talk about this at some point, and then, like, that's it. And if the judges hear that, that's interesting as well. I mean, counterpoint, though, not that saying it's invalid, but the counterpoint is also that we've we've heard the crowd affects a lot of close decisions, too, right? The hometown yeah. fighter, you know, or the popular fighter. They're missing punches, but everyone's going, ah, ooh. And the, and so the maybe they think they connected because they have a bad angle. Like, I think these have always been the criticisms of the judges <laughs> being influenced by any type of... And maybe that's place, just... And, and that, yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you stuff and maybe it's just we need to reevaluate what influences what influences these judges are taking in whether it's you know either they know it or not right because they might not be thinking like oh i'm being influenced because the crowd's getting so excited every time this throw this guy throws a punch or it could just be like i didn't see if that punch connected but well everyone's cheering so i think it did and i think this guy's doing well and that's in so maybe they need to be in a booth Away from the audience. Well, that, I was exactly with, saying that. You yeah. know, maybe with maybe with headphones that they can't hear anything, and they just have to watch the fight. They can't hear the commentary or what's going on. You know, I, I think it 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 brings up an interesting aspect that maybe just had that hopefully raises the question of maybe we need to be doing more to isolating these judges so outside factors aren't influencing their decisions. I think it's an interesting I, point. I think California was going to test some of that out. Actually, that California is all about testing out new rules and shit. I think they were going to test that out before the world ended. Um, so we'll see. Um, Mike, you have any final, th final thoughts on this card as before we advance? Yeah, it was very fun. I really enjoyed it. I um, also really just enjoyed doing the uh, the 
hangout for for the whole thing as well um, yeah guys you should do nice. that that was fun yeah everybody if you want to like watch this with your friends what we did was we all pulled up the fights and it's kind of hard when not everybody's totally in sync but you kind of just like put one headphone in while you're listening to the fights and then you just talk to your buddies and it's you know if you want to listen to the fights i didn't listen to the first half quite frankly um i didn't even think of the headphone thing until you guys told me you were doing that um that was really fun though um and there's nothing on tv so the ufc's gonna get a lot of attention with these cards that some others one on Wednesday and Saturday. And when you look at these cards, you're like, you didn't need two for this. Um, but here we are. Um, hopefully, Jacare is okay. I know we had some fun last week where Stefan flat out predicted that Verdum was going to test positive. Um, and I'll be Verdum. honest. Yeah. And I'll be honest when me and Mike were on, uh, we we're playing Civilization because that's all we do now. Um, and our friend Phil told us. What had happened with Jacare, we started laughing our asses off because not at Jacare, but we were laughing because when Stefan said that Verdum thing, it was one of the funniest things this man's ever said on the podcast. And then that shit happened somehow. <laughs> like it just, it was, I mean, then there was a picture, then there was a picture of Jacare like 40 feet away from Uriah Hall at the stare down. <laughs> like Dana still fist bumped him. I'm like, what, what even is this at this point? <laughs> it was, it was like, it was bound to happen. It was, yeah, it was, um, the, I was just playing the law of large numbers there. Yeah. So are all these guys going to stay there for two weeks and make sure they're okay? Or are they going straight home back to their families? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. We can't criticize it if we go there. I don't know. Okay. I saw I saw a tweet that uh, the Cookie Monster put up, and she looks like she's in her own bathroom. Just saying. Okay. Great. I don't think there's no quarantine going on. Great. Way to go, UFC. All right, let's just get into this. Uh, there's two cards this week. We're not picking all these 20 fights. Uh, we're going to pick some of them. Um, and actually, there's a few more I, we might have picked if we were only focusing on one card. But uh, we're going to pick and choose here a little bit. Um, UFC is... Okay, look, until I tell you guys otherwise, they're in this fucking arena in Jacksonville. All right? They're in this stupid credit union arena in Jacksonville. Um, this Wednesday, um, Anthony Smith, Glover Teixeira, going to main event... Going to go five rounds here. Glover Teixeira doesn't want to go five rounds. Um, in the light heavyweight division, um, betting lines for this one, I'm going to assume is close. Um, Yeah, man. Like I was saying, kind of almost every one of these fights on both of these cards we're going to talk about are basically one and a half. One and a half favorites, one and a half underdog. Um, but that's what we have here with Anthony Smith coming in at minus 175 to Glover's plus 150. Mike, let me ask you, is anybody new in first place? Is it me and Mark still tied, or did one of us take the lead? Because I honestly don't know. Actually, there is a large uh, shuffling that went about after this uh, this card. So, um, Bob, you are no longer tied for first. Um, Mark is now at a commanding 20 and 12. You're right behind them at 19 and 13. Fucking um, Dominic Cruz, stupid drunk referee. I made some goddamn moves going five and two this uh this past weekend. So now I am at a very nice sixteen and sixteen, moving up to third. And you know, uh stuff, you know, didn't have a great showing last uh last Saturday. So you know he's fifteen and seventeen now. This is what last year was. I said, I'm Dirk Nowitzki. I had my one glory year, <laughs> and we're just going to be the king of our little yeah. castle until we retire. That's just, just how we do this now. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just here to do, be, to be, do better than Mike and make sure Mike never wins. That's what I ever sorry for. <laughs> Mike is, Mike is cyborg. 
That's really what did it, huh? Damn it. Um, all right, this betting line, super close, as Stefan mentioned, with Anthony Smith being a minus 175 favorite to Glover Teixeira. Anthony Smith, last time we saw him, um, was when he defeated Alexander Gustafsson and retired him, I think. Who knows anymore? Back last June. Um, then there was a home invasion at Anthony Smith's house, I think. And he beat the shit out of the guy, if I'm, I'm, unless I'm mixing this up with somebody else. So he's um, um, yep. Not if you ask John Jones. If you ask John Jones, Anthony Smith is a weak little bitch who couldn't take this guy out uh, quick enough. It was a look. I'm reading. Uh, I like whoever wrote the Wikipedia. The man who broke in was identified to be 21 year old Luke Haberman, an accomplished former high school wrestler. I like whoever gave us the fights, the fight background of the fucking guy breaking into his house. I do um, like the idea that this uh, home burglar was just double uh, double legging homeowners. Yeah. He, he wasn't. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't holding him up at gunpoint. He was just double legging him, uh, getting him all pretzeled, and uh, that was it. Um, Glover, look, Glover. Glover's just enjoyed his time in the UFC since he lost to John Jones. Right, that was about six years ago. He wins some, he loses some. He's won three in a row. He, I mean, he's just there for you, folks. He's uh, forty years old, lives in Connecticut for some reason. Um, I got, I got Anthony Smith just because I just feel at this point there's likelihood that one of them is showing up not in shape. I'm leaning towards Glover because there's been fights where we wondered if he was in complete shape, and this is a five rounder. So I got Anthony Smith. Stefan? Um, yeah, same with Smith. Um, I've been hard on him, but he's younger with a good all-around skill set. Glover's dangerous, though. He's all He has a baseline of skill. He can always knock you out. He can always submit you. Um, but you think Anthony Smith is in the prime of his career enough to kind of hold off the old guard? Uh, Mark? Uh, larger the same. Uh, with you bringing it up, Bobby, that he beat Alex and Alexander Gustafson in his last fight just gives me a little bit more confidence in him. Um because I think Glover is a tough fight, but it's mostly like, like Stefan said, I kind of want the young, the young fighters to really kind of take over. And these guys that have kind of been petering around in the division, like you said, uh, Bob, I'm okay with them kind of finding greener pastures. Mike, clean sweep. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a clean sweep for us. I like that the younger fighter in this has still got 46 fights on his record. Really tells you where we are at this fucking sport at this point. Um, co-main event, welcoming. OSP to the heavyweight division, Big Ben Rothwell. Does OSP need to move up in weight? Were we all sitting here wondering, man, what's holding OSP back is that he's not fighting bigger people. Um, no, none of us were saying that. Have he lost his last fight? Like, Oh, Mike, here I am for you. OSP uh, is coming off of a win via Von Fluchoke, because that is how OSP wins fucking fights. Um over Michael Olia, I can't say this name. Um, huh? Olua Candy. Sure, let's go with Olua Candy, former Pacific Center and NBA bust. Michael Olua Candy. Um, ben Rothwell um, had a sh- he, in his last fight. He defeated Stefan Struve. Um, performance kind of sucked, Stefan. If I'm not mistaken, in that one, uh, Stefan Struve got mind fucked into. Fighting through three like knees to the dick, like oh, Stefan yeah. Struve shouldn't have continued. And <laughs> That's then, what it was. And then Ben Rothwell mauled a man who was still wanting. He still had time left on the clock, and he shouldn't have gone on. That was that was a cluster f of a fight. Um, so Ben Rothwell, how, how did you forget for, that one? Former IFL champion is the underdog against OSP, who shouldn't be in this weight class. Stefan, 
Do you have it in front of you? Uh, yeah. Like you said, Ben Rothwell is coming in at a plus 120 underdog to minus 140 for OSP. Mark, can OSP Von Flew choke Ben Rothwell? Probably. I mean, I think I think the bigger you are, the easier it is to get that choke. I'm not totally sure. Um, Ben's not a bad grappler, though. I mean, I was making a joke. No. He's not um, a bad he, cho- he tapped out fucking Barnett. And, and, and so. I can read the segue. Um, I, I am picking Ben. I don't have any confidence, rhyme, or reason necessarily for it. it if nothing else, that he's just a really big guy, and this guy is coming up from light heavyweight into there's, there's I don't have any big analysis. I'm not a big enough Ben Rothwell fan to know his ins and outs and where he's going to be able to win this fight. Um, OSP, he has decent stand up. We've seen him knock people out, and on the ground, he's tricky. So it could potentially be an interesting matchup, but it could also be kind of a snoozer. Uh, Rothwell is half an inch taller, but is two inches less of reach. Yeah, but how, and I don't how care much more power because I'm taking have on him. Yeah, I'm taking Ben Rothwell. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go on the opposite side of you guys. Um, I think this fight Smart. is a coin flip. Yeah. I think OSP is obviously a much better athlete than Rothwell is, so I think it'll be interesting to see um, how he looks in the uh, in the higher weight class. This might be one of those situations where maybe OSP was draining himself too much to get down to 205, and uh, maybe he shows an even better performance uh, this time around. And also, I want to try to catch up to you guys. So, yeah, I would say this is a uh, 10, no, like 50 meter sprint. Oh, it's P all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stefan. Um, I would have gone OSP had Mike on Rothwell there um, just to mix it up, um, just because it is a bit of a coin flip. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing of who is more washed in my eyes. Ben Rothwell's been pretty inactive and. Again, his his last highlight is only because he cheated rampantly. Um, so maybe he, oh, he'll get uh, he'll get his free one in on this one too. But uh, OSP, he's got weird fight IQ. I I think Ben Rothwell's too big to really wrestle with. Um, so I could see Ben Rothwell doing jack nothing for two and a half rounds, and then just one clubbing right stunned uh, OSP just due to that size difference, and that could be enough in this fight. I remember a few years ago. I definitely said I. There's times where I watch OSB fight and I think he doesn't know what he's doing at all, and that hasn't changed. There's fights sometimes where I'm just like OSB looks like this is, is like his first fight, and then there's other times where he pulls off some nutty shit. He's really unorthodox. So three to one here for Ben Rothwell. I don't think we are picking any more fights on this card, right, Mike? No. I just want to say uh, if you want to check out something that's uh, going to be a good time, Ricky Simon Ray Borg. Um, Fighting a bantamweight, uh, that's going to be a good fight. The, both those guys are young and hungry. And uh, Andre Arlovsky's on the undercard. Michael Johnson's on the undercard. Who is Andre fighting that he's the underdog? Felipe Lins, who is 34 years old, 14-3, and three, coming from the PFL. He's the winner oh. of the 2018 PFL tournament. Damn, so you know he's got I, a mill? I don't know if they were giving out a million back. Why uh. is he fighting? <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah, I just want to so say that's, this Wednesday start card is actually pretty good. It's pretty for a fucking Wednesday card, pr- not too bad. Um, Carl Roberson, not bad on there. Sajara Eubanks and Sarah Morace. Yeah, fr- f- favorite of the podcast, Sarah Morace, who I remember we saw her fight once live in one of the worst fights I've ever seen. It, not so much in like bad in terms of inactivity, but I remember Stefan just it was two people who didn't know what they were doing. Um, it was her and um, Dufresne. I will say this is the only fight. On both of these cards, that is not a one and a half favorite. Marais is coming at the big uh, three fifteen underdog. 
And yet her record's better than Eubanks at four. <laughs> what the fuck? Dude, Sarah Sarah Morace doesn't look like she knows what she's doing. I, I swear anytime I see Sarah Morace is on a fight card, I always assume she's like on a two or three fight losing streak. Um, all right. This other card on Saturday. Um it's got some stuff on it too. Matt Brown's fighting a guy without a Wikipedia page. Um and he is a two to one favorite over Matt Brown. Really? Yeah, Matt Brown is coming in as the uh, two to one underdog. I'm just because you said that. I'm gonna look up real quickly to see. Holy shit! The guy's nickname is Carmel Thunder. Oh. Holy shit! Well, His name that, is that's Carmel. A, that's a soon to be podcast favorite. Carmel Thunder. He's got he's got merch that says Carmel Thunder. I'm buying this shirt. Um, he's an eight and zero guy. He's 27 years old, fighting out of Florida. He fought in the UFC already once. He's a contender series guy. I'm gonna watch this fight. That's it. They got me. Um, his name is Miguel Baeza, by the way. Anyway, we're not picking that. Um, this has also got some stuff on it. Darren Elkins is fighting a guy without a Wikipedia page. Courtney Casey's on the undercard. Song Yadong is taking on Marlon Vera. Uh, Stefan's favorite, Eric Anders, is taking on Christoph Jotko. Um, but, uh, we're gonna pick some of these other fights. Starting with the heavyweight fight between Alistar Overeem versus Walt, uh, Big Ticket Harris. Um, this fight was booked. About a year, maybe a year ago, um, ballpark. I'm sorry, not a year ago. Back in, uh, it was supposed to happen in December. And then um, you might have heard the story about Walt Harris's uh, stepdaughter uh, going, uh, getting kidnapped ultimately and getting uh, murdered. Uh, Walt Harris pulled out of the fight. Biggie Boy stepped in and knocked out Overeem. Um, UFC is running this one back, booking it again. Um, Overeem and Walt Harris. Um, Stefan, betting line. Uh, Walt Harris coming in at minus as a minus one sixty favorite to Overeem's plus one forty. I think I pick against Overeem in all the fights, like in like at least a six fight streak here of me doing that. I picked against so him in uh, with Rosenstrike, and, and that was based on him being Biggie Boy. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm smart when I do this. Like I think like he's like he's winning more than he's losing. Clearly, he's, um, he's sticking around. Yeah, um, he's Alistar three point oh four point oh whatever we're on here. He's actually coming off of that loss to Biggie Boy. Okay. Um, Walt Harris, I believe he had won a couple before. Uh, I mean, I thought this Overeem fight was supposed to be him getting a pretty decent step up in competition. Walt Harris moved up to heavyweight, and he started annihilating people. He yeah, he, he, he turned uh, it around. He heavyweight was the move for him. He's on a two-fight win streak. Should be a four-fight win streak, but his win against Arlovsky was changed to a no contest. Yeah, he tested positive for uh, LDD. Okay, that sounds ah, like something they have in common. Uh, a selective androgen receptor. Um, it's supposed to. It's involved with it's an anabolic steroids thing. Right. Um, I'm taking Walt Harris, man. I'm not picking over even fights these days. It just doesn't happen. I don't care that Walt Harris is 36 years old. He only has 21 fights of mileage on it. I on him. I've seen Overeem get knocked out. Like in my head. Overeem has got at least nine knockouts that I can just repeat. And this is my excuse every time he fights, and I'm wrong half the time, so whatever. I got uh, Walt Harris, though. Stefan? Um, yeah, I was going to take Walt Harris when they were meant to originally fight. I'm still taking him here. Um, you know, he's going to be a very motivated man. Uh, I just want to say uh, a thumbs down from that card. I got very uncomfortable when they aired the promotion. They were incredibly oh, yeah. exploitative of uh, what him and his family have gone through. 
and they aired back-to-back different segments. I thought the segment was replaying. They have two different versions of them really trying to exploit the hell out of um, this really horrible thing that happened. I get that it was going to come up in promotion. It's a reality story point. You can't tell this man's story without it coming up. But the way it was framed, uh, I really didn't like how the UFC did that. Well, it was weird because they did like a three, four-minute promo with just their own. And then they did that second one, which was a commercial for a, uh, a ESPN E60, I think. And I was just like, is the E60 going to be the four-minute thing you just fucking aired already? Because how many t- like they really it was like a good like overall about six minutes straight of pay-per-view where they were beating us over the head with it and i'm hope like you know walt was okay with it but even then very uncomfortable um mike what'd you think yeah i'm well, what i'm gonna be picking walt harris as well um i didn't really like uh you know that whole promotion of you know walt Har- the, the murder of walt harris's daughter um hope we don't get too much of that on uh on saturday but when it comes to the actual fights, uh, Overeem has a very bad habit. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I would too if I got punched in the face. But um, considering he's a professional fighter, um, he tends to turtle up anytime he takes any type of damage or anyone gets anywhere near his noggin. Um, I mean, he was winning the Biggie Boy fight up until he got he got clipped and... I, I think, I mean, he's pretty over the hill. I mean, I know Walt Harris is right around his age as well, but um, I don't think there's much left in the in the tank when it comes to Overeem. So I'm going with the slightly younger Harris. All right, Marcus, I'm going to you, obviously, last on purpose. This is your boy, Kareem. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I've been on this island for a while. I'm cozy here. <laughs> I'm, I'm nestled in. I'm not going anywhere. Um, But, I mean... And this is like you mentioned, Bobby, the same things come up with over him every time. And, you know, and I echo the same things like, yeah, he's chinny, dude. He, he's been chinny his whole career. Like if you can get this dude um, on the chin and even what Mike said, you put pressure on him. And it's been one of my biggest criticisms. You put pressure on this man against the cage. He just sits there and covers up and he's just like combo on me, dude. See if you can break my guard. And it's like, yeah, they're going to break your guard, dude. You have to get the fuck out of there. He's been getting a little better at being like, oh, I shouldn't just stand here and cover up. I can move and cover up at the same time, make distance and not get my ass beat in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't fault anyone for picking Walt Harris. He's an explosive uh, striker early on. It's going to be very dangerous for Reem. What, what, some of my confidence in staying with Reem is just that I do know that he's fought in these type of fights before where he's has to kind of weather the storm early. His last fight was kind of like that. Um, what is his big takeaway from his last fight is like, don't just fucking give up in the last 10 seconds. Cause they might push your shit in. Uh, hopefully that's a lesson learned. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, I think if there's a lot of places where Reem, I think is going to be very strong in this fight in the clinch. If he hasn't clinched up, it's a cage. That's one of his best spots. He's on top of Walt really good ground and pound. He has d- good top control. There's a lot of places he's going to be very comfortable in and, and even dominant. He's not going to, He's not going to have that pure dominance in the stand-up, but he's fucking dangerous there. I mean, we can't forget this guy's a striker um, and a varied one at that. You know, he, he does use his hands a lot more. A lot of older fighters do. It takes a lot more energy to throw big head kicks and fucking knees while you're standing than it does to throw some uppercuts and shit. Um, but I think I think Overeem's going to be selective. He's going to be patient. Um, he's going to try to wait for Walt to make a mistake. In that waiting process, he might just eat a big one, and, and, and that'll be the end of it. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of ways he can win this fight. I think Walt has a good shot too. I think he's going to be fucking motivated. I think he knows that there's been a lot of distractions in his life and this is kind of his profession. This is what he's good at. 
Um, and he's going to go in there and just let his hands go, and he's not going to have any reserves, I hope. Um, I think it's going to be a fun fight and, you know, a heavyweight matchup with Overeem. It, it always results in one thing. Something fucking violent and hilarious is going to happen. And usually the hilarious part is when Overeem's getting his shit pushed in because, I mean, look, at I love the guy. I love the way he fights, but he also makes for the most, like, hilarious knock because usually he doesn't get knocked like the biggie fight he doesn't get knocked out with the one shot like people think he's chinny he's still there he can't defend himself but he's still there to get demolished and to get crumpled that that was when his face exploded too when he oh yeah his lip just how what you know he okay over him is a guy who had a scar on his face when i first saw him and he was 18 years old because he got in a bar fight like the, he's gonna have some interesting facial Dude, if, you, if you're from the if you're from the Netherlands and don't get in a bar fight as a fucking cage fight as a fucking like fighter or kickboxer, yeah, like, is that if that's not part of your upbringing? Like I don't. Well, I mean, I guess boss he he got beat up on, and then he was like, oh, I need to learn this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big Reem fan because I think he's an exciting fighter to watch, and that goes for when he loses too, because he loses in spectacular fashion. There's usually there's not a lot of decisions with Overeem losses. There's lots of. Uh, fishy legs and flopping around and sometimes your lip explodes so it's going to be interesting regardless of the outcome um speaking of amsterdam mike we were about to go to amsterdam and now we're not our trip our vacation has been canceled. I, I should have been on an airplane in two days to go yeah. to go to the uk um by the way all these i'm into all these fights man these are like good solid matchups um claudia gadelia here taking on angela hill um, Angela Hill's got a got on a bit of a run, folks. Um, three straight wins, two finishes, wins over uh, Ariane Carnalosi, uh, Hannah Cyphers, and Loma Luke Boonmi. Um, Claudia Gadelia kind of trading wins and losses. Her last fight, uh, she beat Randa Marcus by decision. Uh, it was a re her rebounding off of her loss to Nina Ansaroff. Um, she's kind of, uh, since losing to Joanna and Jacek in their rematch, um, she is, uh, four and two, um, mostly going to decision, uh, betting odds for this one, Stefan, you got to think Claudia Hills, uh, Claudia Gadelia is the, uh, favorite, right? Uh, yeah, almost two to one at minus 185 with a plus 160 to the always entertaining Angela Hill. Yeah, we all love Angela Hill. Everybody knows that about this podcast. Um, I named a bunch of those people that she just beat. Um, none of them are on the level of Claudia Gadelia. Um, I'd be more confident in my pick of Claudia Gadelia, which, for the record, that's my pick. If I didn't think at this point Claudia, Claudia Gadelia is like, not that she's phoning it in because she still shows up with a fucking like 16 pack for abs, but it's not that she's not in shape or anything. It's just, when she lost to Joanna the second time, it was almost like she accepted she wasn't going to be a champion in this weight class. And she really didn't need to do that because Joanna's not the champion anymore. So she could be the champion. Um, I, I don't even think it was then because not too long after that, um, you know, Joanna lost her belt and Gadelia was still winning. I think it was the fight she had with... Um, Andrage with Andrage, that was the well. Andrage Andr kicked her ass. Shit, like she. Yeah, like, like you want to talk about someone getting their shit pushed in, Mark? Like that was the fight. Yeah, she got beat up in that one. Um, I still think the world of her abilities. Um, if she shows up and performs, I think she is too well rounded for Angela Hill to beat her. Personally, I like Angela Hill a lot, but I don't know if she's got the skills necessary 
to beat Gadelia. Um, so yeah, I got Claudia Gadelia in this one. Stefan? I'm taking Claudia too. Um, I think it's simple enough to say she peaked. And there's no shame in that. She, it's not a mental thing of, or she decided to not try as hard. She just peaked. She has a style where she needs to be the aggressor. And she learned there are fighters stronger than her that she can't implement her grappling on. There are fighters who strike better than her. And she can't really close that gap. Um, the problem, as you mentioned and alluded to, Angela Hill has not done well against the higher levels of competition in the UFC. Um, she's done quite poorly in them. Uh, Claudia does kind of fade the more the fight goes. So um, if Angela Hill's newfound stopping ability can implement in the third round, maybe there's a way she ekes it out. But um, I see this coming to a fairly one-sided decision. Mark. Yeah, um, I mean, really, I think what we're seeing in this fight is a lot of preconceived notions of what where we've kind of placed these fighters in our heads. Um, and where the landscape is now, either one of them could be turning that around potentially, but we just haven't really seen that quite yet. Like, I haven't seen Claudia completely fall apart where I think that she is fair game for Angela Hill. Um Angela Hill has always struggled with higher competition, like you guys mentioned before. She has strung together three victories in a row, which is in incredible, but against lesser talent. But having watched Angela Hill fight, I know she's capable of of potentially being a a top athlete. She just has not been able to put that together. So I think a lot of our, our picking here, and mine included, because I'm also going with Claudia, is just a lot of these preconceived notions of where we've... And I do this all the time. A, a fighter super successful for a stretch of time and they're that fighter for me for a long until that becomes completely shattered and maybe that is happening with claudia right now and maybe angela hill like i said is on that turn and we're seeing this paradigm shift of where we've kind of mentally placed these two fighters but right now they're still in that spot haven't seen enough of angela hill doing so well to think that she's really in title contention haven't seen the wheels fall off so badly for claudia that i'm like oh yeah she can't match you know she she can't win and beat these girls that there wasn't a question if she could beat them a couple years ago so um yeah i have to go with claudia um i'm, I'm rooting for angela hill i hope that paradigm shift comes um and even a, i i think the problem here is even a really strong performance from angela hill won't get her that because she's had really strong performances against really top competition but still in our heads she's not that fighter yet um, so I think she she needs wins over big competition like this for us to get her in that mindset that she is worthy of a title. I, I, I don't know if she's able to put it all together yet, sadly. You're, uh, you're, you just mentioned that we don't know if Angela Hill's in title contention yet. I don't know if we're having a discussion yet that she should be ranked yet. Um, you know, just based off the competition that she's, uh, she's beaten so far in, in her win. Is she through. currently ranked? I don't. Is she? Because I have no idea. I honestly don't know. I I will tell you guys right now. I think, I think um, she, she might not be, and I think that's a fair point to bring up. She is not ranked. Yeah, that three that, three. That's right. th this division is so. Oh no, that's pound for pound. One second, I might have messed this okay. up. Well, that's understandable. At the very. <laughs> I mean, if she if she's ranked, that's solely because maybe there's only not ranked. girls in the division. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I don't know how deep. The well, I mean, Felice Herrick is still ranked. What what is this? Okay, go ahead. A while either. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna be sweeping this. Um, much how like uh, Mark never picks against his boy uh, Overeem, I never pick against my girl Claudia. Fair enough. Um, all right, last one we're gonna pick: Dan Ige, Edson Barbosa. Uh, Dan Ige fights at 145 pounds. Does that mean Edson Barbosa is going to 145? Somehow, yes. 
Um, Dan Ige is 13 and two overall. He's won five straight fights. Um, all those in the UFC. He comes off the contender series. Um, he's 28 years old. He's fucking good. He's 13 and two. He's does everything. Um, Edson Barboza, man. We talk about how good 155 was earlier in the show. In my head, Edson Barboza's just been doing great these days. Edson Barboza's lost four or five in this weight class. And it really tells you what's going on in this weight class because the people Edson Barboza fights, like, they're all killers. Like, this man has not had an easy fight in, like, seven years. I mean, years. basically, you have to think of it as Edson Barboza is the number eight lightweight, and he fought everyone. He fought the guys yeah. ahead of him. He fought the guys behind him. And those are all his losses. Seriously, the man has just been in the UFC forever, too. He showed up in the UFC at 6-0. and He is now 20-8. and Um... The man is, I don't know how he's making 145. I've never looked at this guy and thought he's undersized at 155. He's five foot 11. That's a big fucking featherweight if he's making it down. Um, the odds are kind of close for this one, right, Steph? I think. Yeah, sorry, I just changed tabs real quick. Um, it's another kind of almost coin flip. Uh, I think uh, Edson Barbosa is coming in as the slight favorite at minus 130 to plus 110. Um, I heard a clip, Bob, saying it as Ige, um, but uh. however however you choose, picker's choice. I, yeah. um, I'm assuming uh, I, I saw he's from Hawaii and having a look at him, I think he might be Asian, so maybe he's Japanese, so maybe it is Ige. Man, I've seen this guy's fights, and I can't say his name. Is a sad part. I've seen a few of these fucking fights. Um, it's uh, I'm picking Edson Barboza, man. I'm just gonna put it out there. I, I, I mean, it really says something about uh, Dan Ige that it's this close of a betting line. Um, he's got a lot of wins he's strung together, and Edson's lost a few. But man, Edson starts ripping kicks at this dude who's five foot seven. Like Edson doesn't have to throw that big, that high of a wheel kick to kick his head off. Um. I, I got, I'm picking Barboza. He's terrifying. I'm, Steph, I'm right now thinking about the loud noises this man's kicks are going to make in an empty arena. Oh, that's what I'm thinking uh, about. Ed. Absolutely possible, right? Edson, win or lose. It's like Overeem, right? Win or lose. This guy, if he's involved, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, if he loses, he usually loses in a devastating manner. Um, I'm going to go with the underdog here then. Um, I'm going to take Ige, Hawaii Dan. Um, that's my pick because uh, Edson, there's three factors that kind of worry me is um, he's getting older. He was talking about retiring. He was wanting to be released. He's been in a weird place that way. Um, cutting the weight. I don't know, man. He's been really lean at lightweight. I don't know where what this weight is coming from. Um, it, it's one of those things when you start going down a division at this age, something's going wrong. Uh, when they go up, we understand you're old man. Old man bod don't want to cut weight no more. I get it. Like Mike said, once you turn thirty, or you're on the other side of thirty, you don't you don't feel like losing weight anymore. You're kind of. I mean, good. it was like that. Pe- it was like we realized right before the card the Pettisaroni fights at one seventy. We're like, oh, okay, they don't want to cut weight. We get um, it. Sure. And then the other thing, Edson's got a lot of mileage. There's a lot Ooh, of yeah, mileage on his body. That that Habib thing that took his soul. He he got a win in there since, but he also got KO'd twice. He went to a brutal like bloody war with uh, Paul Felder, like. The man's got a lot of mileage, and that style does not age well. Dropping the weight makes me worried for him, but absolutely. Could he kick his uh, Ige's head off? Absolutely, but I'm going to take a Hawaiian Dan. Mark? Uh, yeah, I- I'm going with Edson. Uh, all the things, I think 
really the conversation is with the peripherals and the X factors with Edson, especially moving down in weight, um, is a little worrying some. Um, I didn't even know, Bob, that Dan was a featherweight, so that was news to me like five minutes ago. Um, and I think that that is a big change. But like you said, he's fought in a killer's list of competition. And if, if Dan Ige or whatever is of that ilk or not, you know, this will be a good test for him. But it, if I knew that, I would maybe go with him. But I don't know that. I've just seen a lot of people I don't recognize him winning. So I have to go with Edson. Um, but it could be an interesting fight. And 145, seeing guys move down from 55 hasn't really been a success story. So that doesn't really bring a lot of confidence either. Mike, we're going to have ourselves an old-fashioned split. I'm going to join Steph and pick Ige because while we've seen the impossible happen when it comes to weight cuts and uh, Jose Aldo somehow making it down to 135, um, that's the exception, all right? Uh, Barboza was not a small 155-er by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that this weight cut to 145, is going to leave him depleted and uh, not fighting at optimal capacity. And Ige is a up-and-comer that a diminished Barboza would not be able to beat. Fair. All right. Um, man, we start talking about MMA again. We have an hour and 25 minutes of just talking about MMA. Jesus. Well, we spent uh, a shit ton of time talking about the Cejudo-Dominic fight. Well, and, uh, I mean, a man with one, a minute ago, two belts um retired um, i mean it's like a big that uh, online challenge that uh young idiots like to partake in the whole no fap november that's what this was with mma it was like we're not talking about mma we're gonna do a million march madness tournaments on a bunch of nonsense and this is the first time we're gonna like genuinely like talk about this it is, this watch. is the fap episode this, this is this, you know, this is this is uh, uh december 1st release day is what this is by the way, I like the UFC makes it so I miss. I, I mean, they don't make it. They didn't make it like this. The circumstances of the world did, but I missed fights on some level. I get excited for a fight card, and then the UFC's like, "Fuck yeah, two more within five days coming up to you, buddy." And immediately, I'm like, "That's too many. Stop it." Yeah, Stop I'm just it. like, "God." I'm like, "I mean, I'll wa- again." There's nothing else on TV. I'll watch them. We'll it's, see. Uh, it's very reminiscent of that. What I've been doing for the last two weeks or so is that Monday through Friday, I eat so healthy. I drink like nothing but water, but Friday night rolls around. It's beers, you know, chocolate chips, you know, milk, cookies, more beer. Oh, it's just like a cesspool of shit for like three days in my body. This is why Mike is just an alcoholic cookie monster uh, on Friday. (laughs) Mike's just been farting for fucking three days straight. My diet Saturday night was an eclectic mix of shit. It was. I mean, we, we watched you consume some of it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the snack food journey? Oh. That's what Mike did. Exactly. Um, all right. Let's do stuff we like. Let's try to make it quick here. Um, I'll just say um, I didn't think I watched anything really a lot of new stuff this week. Um, I'll just say I like that um, the Iconics are back on Monday Night Raw. I just saw that. And that makes me happy. I know it makes Stefan happy. Um that's it. That's all I got. Stefan, what do you got this week? Um, yeah, that was one of them. It's, it's, it's kind of three things that have returned or I have returned to. Um, as you mentioned, the Iconics are back. That's my favorite thing in pro wrestling. I basically haven't watched since they left. Um, so I'll be happy to see them uh, now that they're back. Um, Rick and Morty just had its second episode. I got to see the uh, midseason premiere a little late. So that's why I didn't talk about it last week. Um, 
the return episode was one of their best in the series. I thought haven't seen the most recent one. Mark mentioned uh, maybe the reviews aren't as hot coming off of that first uh, return episode, but I'm happy to have the show back regardless. Um, and then in the background, I've been watching a lot of community again. Um, I'm up to, I'm almost done up to that last season, the Yahoo season. A lot of people didn't see that Yahoo season. Me and Mark did. It is hilariously underrated. Um, that was, that was a good it season. Is, I yeah. That. If, also, just for those who haven't seen it yet, like there's a lot of uh, mid-credit, post-credit scenes that they weren't usually do. They didn't usually have the kind of cold opens and the kind of bonus extra scenes that they had. Um, and they did a lot of crazy random stuff in this last season of Community, but um, it was really good. Mike, what do you got this week? Donde esta la biblioteca? Uh, for me this week, uh, it's this uh, YouTube channel called uh, Oversimplified. Um, there may be about 10, you know, 8 to 12 minute videos where this guy, he picks a maybe like a war or a particular thing in history that happened. And um, he basically just makes it with like little cutesy cartoons. I uh, binge watched, I think, all of the things that the guy had um, over this past weekend. It's maybe about 15, 20 videos. Uh, some of the things that he covers are uh, the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the American Revolution, the the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the the rise of uh, Henry VIII. It's a uh, it's really interesting. Um, if you like history on any level and comedy, it's you know I do. It, it's it's a pretty cool thing to watch. It's a uh, very quick and um, you know easy to digest. I'm actually gonna watch the the Henry VIII episode after we get off of this podcast it's actually one of the longer ones it's a video that's 27 minutes long so it'll be the perfect thing to for me to watch while i get ready for bed oversimplified i just pulled it up right now and i'm hitting subscribe it seems like it's my jam 21 videos i'm gonna run through this real quick okay um marcus what do we got brother? a couple things uh last week they kind of shadow dropped uh the walking dead saints and sinners on the playstation vr it had already come out previously on pc and some of the other headsets um when it came out before it got really great reviews and people were talking about how awesome it was so it was definitely on my radar and when it kind of just dropped i was like fuck i'll give it a shot and uh i really liked it i've i've messed around with a lot of uh vr games that have come out on the playstation vr and this is probably i would say probably easily the best one i've played um it feels like the most like a real game, um, and I also have mentioned before. Like I'm, I I like the zo- zombie genre, so that hasn't really tainted me. And this is just a immaculate made uh, VR game, so I've been really enjoying that. Um, like Stefan, uh, I recently started watching Community uh, with my wife Christine, and we've both been really enjoying it. It's been a long time since I saw those first couple episodes. Um, and in addition to Rick and Morty, which uh, also started, I'm on Hulu. They have Justin Rowland's. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call it a spinoff cartoon. I think it's called Solar Opposite. Is that the... Okay. Um, have you guys seen it? I've only seen the first episode. Just the trailer. No. Okay. And what I'll say is it's not bad. Like, it's still... It, it, it's Justin Rowland. Like, if you like Rick and Morty, but take away some of, like, the, deep, the deeper kind of, like, subplots that are going on and just, like, just the humor of it, um, it's just a lot of that. It's basically these aliens crash land on Earth and they're trying to leave. And they're, you know, uh, fish out of water, basically. And, and honestly, I watched the first episode and it was like, it, it's it's no Rick and Morty, but it was fun. And you know, I like Justin Rowland. I played Trevor Saves the Universe. I don't, you know, having some improvised, you know, off the cuff, you know, dialogue given stuff is, you know, I, I think it's kind of fun. So um, I recommend that show. Um, that's pretty much it. 
Um, all righty. Uh, we're going to be back next week. We're going to see what happened in these two fight cards. And this other one on this, on March, tw- on May 23rd, which, um, I guess is going to be headlined by, uh, Tyrone Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. But there's no, there's like three other fights on this card. I don't know what they're doing. Well, they don't fights. either. So, yeah, they don't know either. Um, but we'll be back next week to talk about that. That one allegedly, if I'm looking, I don't know if I believe this, but Wikipedia says it's happening at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. They want to. So, fair enough. Um, populated entirely, a card populated with everybody from Extreme Couture and Syndicate MMA and whoever fucking drives up from LA. Um, we'll talk about that next week. Um, see if any other news comes out. Um, and I'm just going to tell you right now, this time next week, Stefan's going to tell you who his thing he liked was the Iconics being on the New Day podcast because that's a thing. And I look very much forward to listening to that tomorrow. And I think Stefan's about to break. Uh, not that he was holding out necessarily, but I think he's actually going to listen to the New Day podcast now that I mentioned uh, this. No, I actually know this. Uh, I follow them on uh, Instagram. They posted a little clip from it. Like, uh, I want the video version where they're all on a Zoom call. I don't want to yeah, just listen to a podcast. Like they don't, they don't, they never release the video of it. Whatever they do, they show clips of the New Day podcast. It's always a video, and I'm like, yeah, give me okay, the video me the fuck- of all of them talking to each other. It's funny. I just want to see, I want to see Biggie's facial expressions. That's why I'm listening to this thing half the time. Like he's a he's a funny guy. <laughs> but yeah, um, we'll be back next week. Um, thank you all very much for listening. Um, we're back to talking about fights for as long as there are fights. Hey, hey. And and when there aren't fights, uh, I don't know. We'll debate what's the best ice cream flavor. A lot of pop culture out there and food. (laughs) If we do the best ice cream flavor, we'll bring Sal's wife on to tell us it's strawberry because she's crazy. Mike learned this. Strawberry. The fuck's wrong? No, not strawberry. Oh, no, it's vanilla. It is vanilla. Vanilla is the king flavor. Well, we don't need this March Madness. Okay. Bobby has 31 flavors in his freezer. He's like, well, fuck, now they're useless. Um, all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. As we mentioned, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was Lavender Gooms. And that was DJ Mark. See y'all next week. Peace out. Cheers. Cheers.